You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, backernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Just sitting here broadcasting from the Vivid Seat Studios. Make sure if you are planning on attending a game in the very near future, you use promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases, first-time customers only. So I wasn't really planning on doing this today because I wanted to kind of wait, gather up some information to kind of see what happened. Um on Sunday with some of these other games. But I don't really need to see a lot of details because I learned a lot, and I think we all should have learned a lot from this week. It was actually a very, very good week. Not necessarily because the chips fell exactly where we wanted them to, although in a lot of cases they did. Carolina won, that's not great. Patriots won, that's never good. Seattle won, etc., etc. But following Thursday's loss... There was a general feel that there's a lot of titans in the NFL right now, including teams like the Lions and the Bears and the Vikings. And after the Packers lost to the Eagles, there was a feeling generally of, uh uh-oh. Because a lot of teams are really, really rolling right now, including the Vikings and the Bears and the Lions. And the Packers, who are still struggling to get the offense going, just saw their defense completely fall asleep. And oh my goodness, we lost to to the Philadelphia Eagles by seven points. Might be time to pack it in. But then comes good old Sunday to show us that it is still September. And when I say September is preseason for the starters, what I'm talking about is the fact that not everybody's on the same page. Some teams come out hot, some teams fall off. And the teams that start off hot realize that they're human at some point. Let's run through a few of these games, shall we? The undefeated, unstoppable Dallas Cowboys. With one of the hottest quarterbacks in football, Dak Prescott. One of the greatest running backs of all time, running behind one of the greatest offensive lines of all time. With Amari Cooper and Randall Cobb in his second act. And with a dominant, domineering defense. They lost to Teddy Bridgewater and the Saints. Not because the Saints are an offensive powerhouse with Teddy Bridgewater. No, 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 no. The Saints only scored 12 points. Teddy's out there throwing picks like it's nothing. They lost because Dallas couldn't score more. They they couldn't beat 12 points against the Saints who do not have a premier defense. You think the Dallas Cowboys aren't going through a little bit of what the Packers went through on Thursday? feeling as though they're unstoppable, feeling as though a Super Bowl is just all all but guaranteed at this point. It's going to be Patriots, Cowboys. Nobody's going to stand in our way. And you can't beat 12 points? How is that possible? Outside of Cam Jordan and Marshawn Lattimore, go ahead and tell me who they have that's a dominant football player. On their defense, I'm talking about. Marcus Davenport's fine. I mean, if if you must throw him in there, all right, go ahead. Again, Dallas's offensive line is dominant. Good wide receivers across the board. One of one of the premier running backs in the NFL, right? Supposedly. Elite quarterback, 10 points. 10 points against this defense, the Saints. Okay. 
humbling. The Falcons' downward spiral continues. How about the Baltimore Ravens? Right, unstoppable. This quarterback can't be stopped. By the way, the Cleveland Browns, pfft, trash. They went out, they thought they were so hot. Oh, you're so cool. You and your your new flashy wide receiver. Oh, Baltimore's going to reign supreme. Guess what? Cleveland beat them 40-25, to and Cleveland is now winning the division. The garbage Cleveland Browns are winning the division over the Baltimore Ravens, who are just unstoppable. Elite defense. Remember how I mentioned they were a little overrated? Elite defense. Can't be stopped. Nobody can name anybody on that defense, but it's fine. Super elite outside of Earl Thomas, obviously. How's Baltimore feeling right now? Right, They've got one of the best quarterbacks in football this year. Hollywood Brown is tearing it up. Elite defense. Just can't be stopped, man. Across the board, can't be stopped. And the Browns, I mean, they're a mess. This is going to be easy. And by the way, no, it's not because Odell Beckham came over and just tore it up. Odell Beckham had two receptions for 20 yards. Man, had nothing to do with it. This elite defense couldn't stop Nick Chubb from going f- <laughs> 185 or 165 yards on 20 carries, 8.3-yard average. Packers are trash. They can't stop the run. We should be more like the Ravens in their elite defense. They don't let anybody run on them. 8.3 yards per carry. Jarvis Landry, eight receptions, 167 yards. Ricky Seals-Jones, you know, that guy, that tight end? Three receptions, 82 yards, and a touchdown. Elite defense. Lamar Jackson, best quarterback in the world. 24 of 34, 247 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks. It's humbling, right? And I'm not, listen, Dallas is a good team. Baltimore's probably going to be a good team. What I'm saying is... We don't know anything through three weeks. We think we do, but we don't. And sometimes teams take a while to catch up and they start to get hot after a while. Maybe the Eagles aren't trash just because they struggled in three weeks. New England won, but they won 16-10 against Buffalo after they've been steamrolling everyone. I doubt New England's worried because they're not worried. They could be 0-4 right now and still feel they'd win the Super Bowl and they'd probably be right. But let's talk about humbling for a minute. This probably didn't go as, as a lot of people expected. Kansas City, Detroit. I told you guys Detroit might come back and win this game. In fact, I think I said I wouldn't count them out, although they'd probably lose it in the end, and that's essentially what happened. Both teams wanted to give this one away. Kansas City got the win, but again, do you think maybe that was a little bit humbling? To almost lose several times to the Detroit Lions? Because if you're going to come and have a bunch of near misses to the Detroit Lions, there's not a lot of teams depending on how good the Lions actually are, that you can't lose to. How about Houston and Carolina? There's no Cam Newton in Houston right now. Excuse me, in Carolina right now. He's not there. He gone. The guy's hurt. The entire team is Christian McCaffrey right now. Houston's got this great defense, a great quarterback, best wide receiver in football. The offense is humming. Everything's going great. They got beat by the hapless Carolina Panthers that can't beat anybody. Humbling. And the thing is, if, if these fan bases don't look up and see what's going on across the league, there's a lot of fan bases going, oh, we're done. Houston's thinking, we're done. We're not even going to the playoffs. We can't beat Carolina. That's pathetic. Lions fans are crying. Kansas City fans are crying. Baltimore fans are crying. Falcons fans are rightly crying. Cowboys fans are crying, and they're probably hiding because everybody hates Cowboys fans, so everyone's just attacking them viciously. You, you got to be kind of, uh, you got to be thick-skinned to be a Cowboys fan, man. It's no joke. Cowboys lose and just everybody's coming for your neck. We're not done, though. 
The Indianapolis Colts lost to the Oakland Raiders. The Oakland Raiders are still considered a joke. Now, I don't know if they're actually as bad as a lot of people think. They've been playing competent football all year. But the Colts are a a legit team. I know Andrew Luck isn't there, but they've got a decent enough quarterback. They've got a good wide receiver. They've got a good offensive line. They've got a good running back, and they've got a good defense. They should have won against the Oakland Raiders. There's still a feeling of hope. I'm guessing a lot of fans in Indy are feeling hopeless right now, having lost and given up 31 points to the Oakland Raiders one year after being this dominant defensive force. 31 points to the Raiders. That's not good. Again, another team that's supposed to be really good against the run, really good defense. Give up 4.6 yards to Josh Jacobs. What's up with that? How about Tampa and the Rams? Oh my goodness. The Rams, who, by the way, through this year have had one of the best defenses in football. They've been right up there with the Packers. They not only have, you know, I mean, they've been a top defense for a while, but now all of a sudden they've got a little bit of a, more of a pass rush. And I'm not just talking about from Aaron Donald. They gave up 55 points to the Tampa Bay Bucket. Who's their quarterback? Oh, yeah, Jameis Winston. 28 of 41, 385 yards, four touchdowns and a pick for Jameis Winston. Ronald Jones, who, by the way, last year, although this year he may be a little bit better, but last year, guy was garbage. In this game, 19 carries for 70 yards and a touchdown, 3.7 average. Chris Godwin, 12 receptions for 172 yards, two touchdowns. Mike Evans, Four receptions, 89 yards and a touchdown. Cameron Brait, three for 36 and a touchdown. Everybody is just going yard on this team. This defense, this team, by the way, one of the best, arguably the best in the NFC, right? Especially after Drew Brees went down, they're trying to lay the claim. It's basically just the Rams or the Dallas Cowboys. One of these teams is just going to take the throne. Uncontested. You just lost to the Bucks because he let them score 55 points on you. The Packers let the Eagles get into the 30s. Ooh. On a Thursday night when things are always a little bit wonky anyways. It was an off night for the Packers, and we're going to get into that if we have time. I'm rambling quite a bit here. Seriously, though, how humbling is that? You are the Super Bowl content. I mean, this is it, man. I mean, it's it's, it's us and it's Dallas, but our offense is humming, man. Our defense is better than ever. Nobody's going to stop this. You lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You allowed 55 points. Here, here, allow me to elaborate. Eagles, better than Buccaneers. Buccaneers, a joke. Eagles, Super Bowl potential. Eagles score 30 points. Buccaneers score 50 points. Humbled much? The Chicago Bears beat the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota is now fourth in the division. This mighty NFC North division that prior to this week had never lost, not one team had lost a game to a non-NFC North opponent. This week, not one NFC North team beat a non-NFC North opponent. The only win came from the Bears against an NFC North opponent. If you're the Minnesota, and by the way, did you see any of these interviews? I'm not positive. And I'm not sure exactly what Stefan Diggs thinks because he just went out and started crying right away. I mean, he did, he just walked right out of the locker room. He didn't want to talk to anybody. He's given up on the season already. This is how upset they are. You want to talk about discouraged? They're already giving up. And I don't know exactly who it was directed at, but let me just find this quote right quick. So, so Stefan Diggs went out of the locker room. He just walked straight out. He was crying. He didn't want to talk to anybody. He just fed up, discouraged a bit, humbled a bit. Here's the quote from Adam Thielen, however. 
at some point, you're not going to be able to run the ball for 180 yards, even with the best running back in the NFL, Phelan told reporters via Chad Graff of TheAthletic.com. That's when you have to be able to throw the ball. You have to be able to hit the deep balls. Now, we could only really be talking about two people here, and really it's only one, but let's let's go ahead and, and try to give this Mr. Phelan the, the benefit of the doubt and shroud this in secrecy. Maybe we're talking about the offensive coordinator slash head coach, the coaching staff. Maybe we're talking about, look, we got to change up the strategy a bit and start throwing it deep. However, let's read that last sentence one more time. You have to be able to hit the deep balls. Not we've got to throw it once in a while. This is, this is the, <laughs> this is your wide receiver turning around and just punching your quarterback right in the face. And I'm guessing he's not the only one. I'm sorry to tell Vikings fans this, because I believe the Vikings are a pretty good team and have every reason to believe that they can turn this around and still win the division. This, as a Packers fan, is much more encouraging than the fact that you're fourth in the NFC North right now, because that can change by next week. It's a very tight race in the NFC North. The fact that the locker room has fallen apart by week four is very encouraging to me, personally. The fact that one of the Biggest up-and-coming wide receivers in the game right now has basically called out your quarterback and said, we will not win because this guy's so trash. The quarterback, the leader of the team, has lost the locker room and has lost the respect of his wide receivers. This has spiraled wildly out of control. And if your head coach doesn't get in there and control this locker room, things are just going to get worse. Because talent only goes so far, as the Green Bay Packers learned last year. Things can get really, really, really bad, really, really, really fast when the players don't care anymore and start getting all discouraged and pouty. Go watch the Packers last year and see how pouty they were. Look what happens on the first three and out. The team already gave up. We stink, I quit. As did the fan base. Everybody knew after one three and out, game's over, nobody cares anymore. Packers fans don't care. Green Bay Packers don't care. Aaron Rodgers doesn't care. Nobody cares. Everybody hates this game. The theme of yesterday was a lot of teams being humbled. The only team that should really be excited is is the Chicago Bears, and that's only if they're willing to admit that you guys have been wrong this whole time about Mitch Trubisky. That two weeks ago, as early as two weeks ago, you guys are going fighting to the death saying Trubisky isn't that bad. And by the way, to all the anti-PFFers, remember that time when people were saying that Chase Daniel, when PFF said that Chase Daniel was better than Trubisky? He was actually graded higher. Oh, they are so, they're the worst. Can you believe an actual organization that prides itself on being able to scout players would say something so ridiculous as to actually grade Chase Daniel higher than Mitch Trubisky last year? I mean, Bears fans, I mean, I I have listened to podcasts saying they refuse to ever even acknowledge PFF because they're such trash for ever having said that. Now Bears fans are trying to find a way to celebrate this and get excited about the fact that they have a competent quarterback while not acknowledging that the guy that they traded up for and spent all this draft capital on, who's hurt, is actually doing the best thing he's ever done for this team by not throwing footballs and allowing your backup to play. Because suddenly you look competent. I mean, to be honest, if you're a Bear, just, just embrace it. You know, just embrace it, especially since it might not last very long, because right now you're getting unscouted Chase Daniel looks, and the game plan was geared toward a more mobile Mitch Trubisky, who's really incompetent in a lot of areas that maybe this guy isn't. So now we got to watch Chase Daniel and get an idea for what's going on with him. But still, he's a better quarterback. 
He just is. He's not as mobile. He's not going to give you anything with his legs. That could hurt him in a little bit. But he's not just as bad as Trubisky in a lot of ways throwing the football. There's some beautiful passes in that game. I'm not. I'm, I'm just telling you as a Packer fan, you should be encouraged because it actually worries me a bit. As soon as I saw Trubisky was hurt, I thought, oh, great, we're all doomed now. Because all the Bears need is a quarterback, and now they have one. He's not good, but you don't even need a good quarterback. You just need a slightly insufficient quarterback. And that's what you're getting in Chase Daniel. But at least you're getting an upgrade from Trubisky, who was just hot garbage. And now I feel even more comfortable saying this to Bears fans, because I'm saying it in an encouraging way. You beat the Vikings. You can, you can now go around claiming you're the best team in the NFC North. It wouldn't be exactly accurate. You're technically third, and you shut down an, inco- an incompetent Vikings team while at home in the midst of a collapse. But hey, the, again, very few teams have a reason to be encouraged. And as cold as it might sound, seeing Trubisky over in the corner in a sling... Reason to be encouraged. Vikings fans, on the other hand, slightly discouraged. Because everybody's coming into the season with a whole lot of energy, man. A whole lot of this-is-our-year energy. Packer fans coming in hot, go 3-0, and elite defense, offense is getting better. Humbled. Dallas. Baltimore. Possibly New England, but probably not. The Chiefs. The Texans. The Colts. The Washington Redskins, if they had any hope whatsoever, suddenly got dashed by the New York Giants. The Rams, the Vikings, Denver, if they had any hope, they just lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, you're, you're, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point, man. I mean, we're, the schedule makers are just trying to get you that W. It was close, but yikes. Although, I mean, Gardner Minshew, come on. And also, another way to phrase this, by the way, would be if we just took the information from Week 3, what would we know about the NFL? Teddy Bridgewater and the Saints are better than the Cowboys. Does anybody actually believe that? I don't believe that. I, th- I think the Dallas Cowboys win 7 out of 10 times. And, and again, the whole point of this is to try to get you to realize, so what? This doesn't mean definitively the Packers are worse than the Eagles. It doesn't mean definitively that the Packers' defense is bad. The Packers' defense had a bad, bad day. It happens. The Chiefs gave up 30 to Detroit. It happens. Houston only scored 10 points against the Carolina Panthers. Does that mean they're garbage offense? They're, they're no good? They're never going to throw up 40 points again? No, it's going to happen again. Can we say comfortably that the Rams have the worst defense in football? No, probably not. Although it kind of looks that way, giving up 55 points to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We still probably can't quite take it there yet. And the, the, the really funny thing is, we're willing to, to give this, I'm speaking generally here, but as Packer fans, we can look at these other teams and go, it doesn't matter. But yet we look at the Packers and go, oh, we might be in trouble. We're a lot harder on our own team a lot of times than we are on other teams. Nobody's going against Dallas saying, ha ha, look at them, they're trash. Ten points against the Saints. No, we're, we're going to go into it knowing this is a good team, man. This is, this is no joke. This is going to be tough. Because nobody cares about one week. So let's, let's carry that over and, and give the Packers that same amount of leeway, shall we? Anyways, let's take our first break. I was going to do PFF. I just think there's not quite enough time. So let's just carry over this energy and start looking at uh, some of the comments, some of the positive and negative, and just kind of run with this thing and see where we're at. Because now that I'm not approving comments in the Facebook group anymore, I don't really know what's going on. It's probably just mass chaos. I've left the children unsupervised. and I'm, It's like when your kids are quiet, and then you just go walk in the room, and you just know something's wrong. But sometimes they're like playing real nice with toys, and it's like, whoa in the world is going on here other times they've you know 
bad, bad things have happened. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. So I didn't realize how far behind I was with my voicemails here, and I apologize to everybody. But, um... In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. First of all, if, if, I, if I skipped over yours, I'm sorry, but it's just it's so far behind and, and out of date. But I want to start with Jim from Florida, and it's it's kind of off the rails a bit, although it's still kind of in discussion. So just just forget everything I just talked about. We're we're going down a different path here. That's what the break was for. Just just it's like a palate cleanser. It's time for the next course. So for context, this was back in September eighth, and the question was about Antonio Brown, and this is after the Patriots just picked him up, and and. Obviously, that didn't necessarily work out, but the, the underlying question is, why is it the Patriots can bring in guys like that, and it doesn't seem to have the, the locker room cancer effect? Um, could argue maybe that it's, it's an overstated concept, or that maybe they're just different. I don't know. But I think for the Patriots, they, they've got such an ingrained culture, is really what it comes down to. I mean, again, you, you look at... See, I, I see it... I don't know, because I, I wish I could try out different scenarios just to see how it would go. I want to see what happens if the Patriots were to go, you know, let's say they had Antonio Brown from week one, and he's, he's a basket case, and he's really weird, and he's freaking guys out. And the Patriots, let's just say, are going 0-4, and, and, and people are starting to get discouraged. What, what's going on in that locker room? And does a guy like Antonio Brown really exacerbate the problem? He starts complaining, he starts screaming at, at Tom Brady. Do they, at that point, just get rid of him? Do they just cut him? Because I've, I've also made the comment for the Green Bay Packers when people say, well, what's going to happen with the coach and Aaron Rodgers? The, the, the idea is if we're winning, everything's going to be fine. We saw what happened last year. Everything that's basically true about the Patriots, with the exception of all the Super Bowl championships, was true about the Packers. A lot of the same guys, a lot of the same culture, experienced coach, experienced quarterback, you know, a lot of similar coaches, I guess, although there's a bit of turnover last year. But you start losing, and you start to lose the locker room, and you can say the same thing with the Vikings. A lot of these guys have been around for a while. Zimmer's been around a long time. These guys have been together. It's a lot of the same players, same culture. One bad loss, and it just all falls apart. Now, I don't think the Patriots fall apart as easily. I think they've been through this before, and they understand, you know, we lose sometimes, especially, you know, you've seen them in the beginning of the year. They go like one and three. The whole world is saying, you guys are trash, and the Patriots don't care. They just keep on marching. So I do think they are a stronger culture over there, and they understand, you know, not to panic and and cry like children when things don't go well, because they'll fight through it, and in the end, everything's going to be fine. Unlike Diggs and Thielen, apparently, who instantly grab their quarterback and throw him under the first bus they can find. 
So I do think there's a couple different dynamics. I think the Patriots can weather a little bit more of a storm. Um, and I also think because they, they win and because even in, when they're losing, I think they have a culture that understands that losing doesn't mean we're bad. It just means that we, we've got more work to do and we will get there. And the, the players feel that. And I also think that they can monitor it. And if, if Antonio Brown is starting to become a problem, I think you have a locker room that's going to look at him and say, no, we don't do that here. And they're not going to be as easily influenced. But if some of the younger guys start getting pulled away or whatever, you know, Belichick is just going to lay down the hammer and say, you shut your mouth and anybody that starts going down this path, this is going to be the consequences. And if things get totally out of control, Antonio Brown's gone and we're back to, uh, you know, operating as normal. So I think they can they can roll with these things for a while until it just doesn't work and then they get rid of it and they're, they're not damaged by it. I think other teams, that may not be the case. And I think it, it is still the right decision and always was the right decision to not bring Antonio Brown to Green Bay. You've got a team that did not have a good locker room environment last year. You've got a brand new first-year head coach. You've got a lot of new players and a lot of young players. It's, it's, it's essentially a tinderbox. Not a good environment for a guy like Antonio Brown. So them is my thoughts on that. The next question, after skipping a few, Andy, sorry, I'm skipping all yours. I see you got one more, and I'm hoping that that one's a little bit more up-to-date so I can respond to it. But this one is from, uh, from Matt. And he's essentially saying, I didn't catch where you were from, but apparently not from Wisconsin. But his perspective is that it seems as though most Packer fans, especially in Wisconsin, hate the Bears most, and he hates the Vikings more than the Bears. Um, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think a lot of Packers fans, I, I can't speak for most, but I remember growing up in Illinois thinking Bears-Packers was the biggest rivalry in the world. But that was almost entirely because... Bears fans hated Green Bay, and they made it seem like that was the biggest rivalry in the world, because whatever. Then I come up to Wisconsin, and I talk to my family about it, and they're like, I don't care about the Bears, we, we hate the Vikings. Because the fact of the matter is, the Bears have not been a challenge to the Packers in a very long time. Now, that's slowly changing with the Bears kind of having a decent team. The rivalry can be renewed, but for years, it's been the Vikings that have been a better team. I mean, and this was a long time ago that I'm talking, so this has been going on for a while. The fact of the matter is the Bears have, I mean, throughout my entire childhood, the Bears were irrelevant. The Packers never struggled with the Bears. I mean, occasionally there'd be flare-ups of talented Bears teams, and during the Lovey Smith years, even when the Bears were bad, you know, sometimes they would, you know, if they won two games, it was against the Packers kind of thing. But it was never that big of a concern, because they were never a threat for the playoffs or anything else, so nobody cared. It's kind of like when I grew up in Illinois and, and Cubs fans hated Sox fans and Sox fans hated Cubs fans, and I never once heard about the Brewers, and then I come up to Wisconsin and they're all like, ooh, Brewers-Cubs, huge rivalry. I'm like, you realize nobody in, in Chicago cares about the Brewers, right? Like literally nobody. I've never heard the name Brewers once in my childhood growing up. Nobody cares about you. But, but people in Wisconsin make it a big deal. Like, ooh, we got this great rivalry, except we're garbage and nobody really cares. This is a while ago. I know the Brewers are decent now. That's fine. But it's, it's the same concept. Bears fans want this to be the greatest rivalry because it's the one thing that they can cling to. Their hatred of the Packers is the one thing that gives them life. So it's, it's been my definition for years now. The definition of a Bears fan is somebody who hates the Green Bay Packers whose second favorite team is the Chicago Bears. That, that has been my running definition of the Bears fan my entire life, and it's, it fits almost every single person that I know. Except one guy, it was his, I think, third or fourth favorite team. Because the Bears have been so bad for a long time, the only thing they have is their hatred of the Packers and Wisconsin in general, because everybody loves the Packers and they just can't stand it, because how dare you like this team from a small town? They don't even have cool stuff like huge crime rates. 
crazy taxes and everyone fleeing the state. Like, why wouldn't everybody just love Chicago? We got, like, the mob and corruption. We're bankrupt. It's awesome here. Hot dogs. I mean, Portillo's is good. I mean, food's good in Chicago, but everything else is, is garbage. That's why I fled. But they, they can't stand it, right? I mean, they're, they're, it's a very insecure city, to be honest. And they do get kind of a, I don't know. I mean, everybody talks about New York. Everybody talks about L.A. in terms of big cities, and that drives them nuts. When you talk about sports, everybody cares about the Packers, and that drives them nuts because, you know, we're a bigger city. We should be talked about more. Nobody cares. They want to believe this is a great rivalry, but nobody really cares about this rivalry anymore. You know, even when it comes down to food, everyone, they, they, they wanted everyone to recognize their food. And I agree, they got good, nobody talks about Chicago and their food. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about Chicago about anything. And the only time they're in the news is when people talk about crime. And it drives them insane. So if you listen to sports radio in Chicago and they just instantly are the angriest people you've ever heard, this is why. Because they believe we should just be national champion everything. The Bears should be Super Bowl champions every year. The Bulls should win every year. The Blackhawks should win every year. The Cubs should win every year. And the Sox should simultaneously win every year. And none of these things ever happen. And it makes them insane. And no, to to answer your question, you're not wrong. Most people, I believe, granted there are some people who carry on that tradition in Wisconsin, you know, um, Matt Ramage has got the whole the Bears still suck thing, and a lot of Packer fans still carry that tradition along with them. Of, of really disliking the Bears the most. But I would say, in general, most Packer fans dislike the Vikings more. Because what, what is a rivalry? I would say one of, the, one of the, the biggest rivalries that the Packers have had in recent memory was the Seattle Seahawks, and prior to that was the 49ers. They're not in the division. It was a rivalry because they played each other regularly, and it was a really tough contest. I mean, these are teams that are like winning and losing in the playoffs together. A team that you just beat up every year isn't a rivalry. And again, it's, it's getting revived a little bit with the Bears' defense coming back and it's a tough team and all that, that's fine, but you're not wrong. The Bears-Packers rivalry has not been very interesting until very recent, until very recently. And I would be willing to bet if you took a poll, although it's going to be skewed now with the Bears being good again, but if, if you had t- taken a running poll over the last 10 years, the Vikings-Packers rivalry would have absolutely annihilated the Bears-Packers rivalry, according to Packers fans. Nationally, everyone says Bears-Packers, huge rivalry, it's all the big deal. In Chicago, everyone says Bears-Packers is the greatest rivalry of all time because, again, Chicago people want to believe their stuff is always the greatest everything. So, of course, their rivalry is the greatest, even though Packers fans don't care. But if you took a running poll of Packer fans, even including now, I would say that most Packer fans say Packers-Vikings is a bigger rivalry. And it's true because it's been a tougher contest over the years. So, anyways... You're, you're not wrong about that, and no, you're not alone. In Wisconsin, it's very similar. And I and again, I say that because I was surprised coming up from Chicago. Like, ooh, Bears-Packers, right? And they're like, I don't care about the Bears. Anyways, the final voicemail was from Andy, who was primarily talking about the Denver Broncos. However, there was a little bit of a nugget in there, talking about how there was a lot of people that are discouraged about Aaron Rodgers and his statistics. Again, kind of going back to what I said pre-break. And yes, this is a banged-up Eagles secondary which wasn't very good to begin with. But Aaron Rodgers threw for over 400 yards. So in the midst of a week in which everybody is discouraged and, and kind of is humbled a little bit and, and is shown to be human, one thing the Packers needed was to make progress offensively and at the very least show that we can absolutely dominate uh, through the air a team that has no ability to stop anybody through the air. And so if we can get the defense back on track, and, and again, we'll, do, we'll plan on PFF tomorrow. But I can tell you pretty definitively, which wouldn't be super surprising, 
but you can look at the grades and kind of see a difference between whether or not somebody gets really, really positive grades or whether the other side just got really, really negative grades. This is a case of the Packers defense just completely laying an egg, according to them and, and what they saw. Lots and lots and lots of really, really bad grades. And pretty much anybody in the stock market game, which I did update, I think you can actually go in there and see what your new score is. I haven't done anything official yet, but I believe that is fully updated now. But pretty much anyone that put money down on defense got burned and lost money because it was just, it was garbage. But anyways, let's take another break. And then I want to jump into the Facebook group for a couple more little questions, comments, concerns, and we'll get out of here. So we'll kind of go in newest to oldest order here. Ed says he's looking forward to hearing Skip Bayless after that loss to the Saints. I Man, that is a great take because that guy is just insufferable. And again, talk about humbling. Here's a guy that's just riding that wave, right? He gets all big and bad when the Packers lose. Oh, who's Aaron Rodgers, right? Running his mouth. Looks like you guys aren't as good as you thought. Keep bringing that energy, big dog. It will be interesting to hear what he says after he sobers up this morning. Josh says, just watch Sean Payton call a Matt LaFleur play on the first and goal. Four seconds in the second. They lined up goal line formation, motion outside tight ends wide like we did with Jimmy Graham. Tried to isolate Jared Cook in single coverage with a fade. It didn't work, but it tells me we're on the forefront of offensive play calling. I'm liking it. I can neither confirm nor deny this. Um... And my, my gut instinct is to say that somebody has run this somewhere before in the past. However, if there's any truth to it, that is actually pretty big information. If we've got teams watching Matt LaFleur on Thursday night and taking notes, that's beyond huge. Because look, here's what I've been saying about coaches. You've got several layers of being a good coach, right? So we, we start with the scheme that's working, which essentially is a West Coast scheme, but it's a modified West Coast and there's the, the ability to, to run that scheme. Now, anybody can call plays out of that playbook. I can call plays out of that playbook. A lot of people probably do every day on Madden. But the ability to understand it philosophically and to be able to actually implement it and understand the, the system and how it works and when we do what and how and where and all that nonsense. The next layer would be the ability to coach it and teach it and to be able to have a locker room. Right? These are the things that we don't know about Matt We know Matt LaFleur understands the philosophy of the system. There's no question. We don't know if he can coach it and teach it. We're still trying to figure that out. Although we assume he can. He's been an offensive coordinator. That's kind of his job. After that comes uh, game planning and in-game adjustments. Can you, with this scheme and system, see what's going on and, and make adjustments in-game? We don't know the answer to that quite yet. Now, game planning I tend to like because we come out real hot. Adjustments, however, eh, might need a little bit of work. But the final thing, the thing that's going to give you longevity in the league, the thing that's going to establish whether or not you're going to be a one-and-done or you know, you're going to have some success and then it flares out, is when the league adjusts and when defenses start to adapt to what you're doing, can you continually adapt? In other words, as Josh put it, be on the forefront of offensive play calling. So again, I don't know if this is true. Maybe this is a relatively common play that a lot of teams run. I don't know. But again, if, if we have teams taking notes on Matt LaFleur, that's huge and he needs to continue that because that that is that's sort of the final step now he's still got to get this in-game adjustment thing figured out but this this is what it takes game planning adjustments and and continually being at the forefront of things being the one that's adapting because I think there's a lot of coaches that maybe can regurgitate which is to say that the league adapts and then we're kind of running an old we're, we're basically a year behind every year 
you know, teams have already adapted to us in this way, and other teams are kind of running new stuff that's working, but we're still running the old stuff. And, you know, it's not as easy as changing our entire offensive playbook and scheme because, I mean, that's our entire playbook. So then in the offseason, we kind of learn, like, this new stuff, and we adapt our playbook, and then we come back in, and we're like, all right, we know how to do this new stuff now because we copied all the offensive playbooks from last year, except everybody's modified and adapted again. You know what I mean? You kind of wonder if that's what Mike McCarthy was getting into a little bit, where he kind of, like, takes pieces from last year, and I don't know. But you need to be the team that's watching the defenses and seeing what they're doing to adapt and how we can use our personnel to kind of be at the forefront. In other words, we're not copying other people's homework. We're the ones that are coming out and showing the league how to beat these kinds of things. We're a long way off from establishing whether or not that's the case. For all I know, Matt LaFleur is only going to have a couple years in the league and he's going to be out. I, I don't know, but this is what needs to happen. Josh Anderson asked who the best quarterback in the league is right now, and the uh, the brilliant minds of the Packernet Facebook group came up with two answers, Teddy Bridgewater and Gardner Minshew. So if you're looking for some serious intellectual discussion, make sure you get yourself in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Billy says, breaking news, Vikings still suck. Thank you. Hashtag you like that. The thank you is for me, by the way. Otherwise, that sounds random and doesn't make a lot of sense. Mark says, hopefully Trubisky isn't badly hurt. If he's out an extended period, it could really improve the Bears' offense. That's not even a joke. That's 100% the case. I, I'm, I'm not kidding when I say that. And I wasn't kidding last year when I when I said that PFF, when I was throwing in the face of Bear fans that PFF said Chase Daniel was better than Mitch Trubisky. This is literally my nightmare is Mitch Trubisky getting hurt and Chase Daniel coming in and being a competent quarterback. And now the Bears have a very real chance of winning the division, making a run in the playoffs and possibly hoisting a Lombardi trophy because they just need a competent quarterback. And, and the question is, can Chase be that? I know Trubisky can't, but can Chase be that? I don't know. And I'm hoping defenses start game planning for Chase and kind of just wipe that out, you know, from the start. Like, okay, this is the things he's good at. We're going to change the way we play this. Whatever. You know, pin our ears back and go get him because he's not mobile. He can't run. I don't know. Just figure it out and shut this down immediately, please. Thank you very much. There is also something kind of interesting that I saw. Um, There's a comment here from uh, Josh in the group. And he mentioned how the pass interference call that essentially lost the game for the Packers wasn't actually pass interference because the actual wording of the rule uh, for pass interference states, and I quote, it is pass interference by either team when any act by a player more than one yard beyond the line of scrimmage significantly hinders an eligible player's opportunity to catch the ball. This was not a yard beyond the line of scrimmage, ergo not pass interference. The reason that's interesting beyond obviously saying that maybe we're wrong about that being pass interference is that it seems to me the league really loves these little screen passes and whatnot. If I'm seeing, let's say you're in man coverage and you see a player kind of back off and and go as though they're going to be running a screen. And usually teams are pretty good about this, right? They're, they're, they're already, they got guys out there blocking and whatnot. But if, if I'm reading this rule correctly and I'm Jair Alexander and I'm in man coverage and I'm against, let's say Amari Cooper, and he looks like he's about to catch a screen pass. As soon as I see Dak's arm cocked back, I'm just going to sprint after um, Amari Cooper, and I'm just going to lay him out. Make sure you do it before the ball gets there. Just absolutely mug him. Grab him, pick him up, slam him on the ground. I mean, that's a different penalty, but still, I mean, seriously, if, if the rule is pass interference can only occur one yard beyond the line of scrimmage, just get back there and just mug the guy, because that's the letter of the law. And people are going to kick and scream, and we'll just look at the rule book and go, look, it says one yard beyond the line of scrimmage, right? 
And again, maybe teams know this, and this is why they, they set up those blockers, and this is why the wide receiver kind of runs back about two yards, because they know that, you know, you got to make sure nobody touches you because they can legally come and, and get you. I mean, maybe this is common knowledge among teams, and DBs are coached to do this. I don't know, but I've never seen that. I've never seen just a blatant pass interference behind the line of scrimmage uh, that technically would be legal, and I want to see that happen. I want to see Kevin King just fly as fast as he possibly can and tackle a guy before the ball gets there and that being completely legal. And I, and I want Petten to coach his defense to do that and have a copy of this rule in his back pocket so when they throw a flag, he can stick it in the ref's face and go, oh, excuse me, wasn't a yard beyond the line of scrimmage. You cannot call that pass interference. Just saying, I'd, I'd be interested to, uh, to know the stance on that because it, it's, as far as I can tell, pretty common wording. I mean, this isn't like old English. It seems pretty straightforward. I mean, even at the line of scrimmage, or in this case, beyond the line of scrimmage, but less than a yard. Just absolutely mug the guy should be required for our defense going forward. Uh, Ryan in the group says, does anyone else question the outside zone running scheme? I think it works if you have the right personnel. At the moment, I feel like we're wasting Aaron Jones trying to run him behind, uh, run him outside with poor blockers rather than just let him slither between the tackles. I don't know, just my opinion. I think when I first read that, my thought is maybe we should just change it up and just kind of run inside zone, which is what we did last year, which is a very similar kind of thing. I think it just gets the ball to Aaron Jones faster. And that's kind of what he's he's good at, right? He's just just run, just instantly run. This whole like run way to the outside and then get the ball and then try to find a spot. Aaron Jones just gets the ball and goes boom, quick. No hesitation. He just runs, somehow finds a hole, slips between it and gets just goes for it. I think the biggest problem though is that the entire offense runs off of outside zone, right? Running way to the outside to do the handoff and then, you know, if you run play action, you're swooping all the way back around, right? It's slow developing plays and all this kind of stuff. And if you if you take that away, not to say we can't run some inside zone, but if you take that away, it kind of changes the whole dynamic of what it is. Again, it's the philosophy of this offensive system. It just changes entirely. So that would be the one negative. However, I, I would tend to agree that we got to find a way to get Aaron Jones going, even if that means kind of just letting him do what he does best on occasion. But finally, I did run a poll in the Facebook group because I was curious about it. I mentioned it on the podcast a day or two ago. But the question is, what do we do with Brian Balaga? Because we can see how good he is, but he's also getting older and injury concerns and all that. So the, the question I had was, do we continue with the idea that we just move on next year? Do we maybe lock him up for a year, if he'll accept that, which he may not, because as good as he is, I promise you there are teams, I mean, he'll be in a Vikings uniform so fast, it won't even be funny. So we got to consider that as well. But if he'll take a one-year contract, do we offer him a one-year and then draft a replacement and then move on after that year? Maybe, or, or just kind of see how it goes and we'll continue locking him up until we find a replacement? Or do we just give him a multi-year contract? You know, three years maybe. Now, the the way the poll went, those are the three options I came up with. Um, Nathan came up with his own idea, which, you know, we could talk about it. He says we should clone Jenkins four times and start him at every position. Which, until I thought about it, I figured, oh, he must not be talking about David Bakhtiari because, you know, we need five. But then I thought about it. We've already got one. You clone him four times. That's five. It's a bold statement, man. I'm with you on the cloning, but um, we got to talk about left tackle. Also could be cost prohibitive. I don't know what that what the going rate on cloning is. But the next lowest uh, vote total with only six votes was he can still play. We need to lock him up, which surprises me because that's kind of I'm torn between that and giving him a one year contract. Apparently, nobody wants to lock him up long-term, despite how good he's playing right now. And, I mean, if you look at some of the top tackles in the league, they can play for a long time. 
Now, maybe not Belaga. He does have a lot of injuries. But look at guys like Joe Thomas from Brookfield, Wisconsin, by the way. Played until he was, what, 34 years old? Didn't retire because he was bad, just retired. Look at one of the current best left tackles in the league, Joe Staley, 35 years old. From Michigan, by the way. Brian Belaga is from Barrington, Illinois. So you get a Midwestern guy that's a good tackle. He can play until he's 35. 34, 35. Brian Belaga is only 30. I mean, we act like he's 36 years old. He's 30. He could potentially still have three, four, five years of, of good play left. Now, the Packers are pretty good at dumping guys early. So it seems like it would be the Packers thing to do to move on. But there is such a massive drop-off in talent after Brian Balaga. And the idea, especially from Packer fans, that we have to just, just get rid of him. He's, he's no good. Well, yes, he is really good. Oh, okay, but he's always injured. You know, sometimes, but what about when he's not injured? Well, he's got a ton of penalties. I mean, he's got some. It's not that bad. I, I, it's just weird, the like anti-Balaga. Like, we just can't get, wait to get rid of this guy. I don't get it. One of the Literally one of the premier tackles in the league that nobody wants to give credit to. The guy who single-handedly saved Aaron Rodgers from some of the best pass rushers in the league is Brian Balaga. He's actually playing better than David Bakhtiari so far this year. And still, everybody says, all right, I mean, we'll give him one more year, but we need to find a replacement, like, instantly. Again, the lowest vote total was a multi-year contract. That just surprises me. I mean, I'm, I'm not opposed to the idea of, of moving on, I guess. But, jeez. When you have premier talent, especially at tackle, my instinct is to keep him around. But to each his own, I guess. Anyways, that's going to be it for today. Tomorrow we'll plan on getting the PFF grades just to give their perspective on how and why things went down the way that they did. And at some point this week we'll start talking about the Dallas Cowboys and such. But uh, until then, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Monday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.